Welcome to the ninth in our series of Urban Transport Next conversations with a live online audience on the topics that will help determine the future of urban transport. So whether you're spending your lunchtime with us listening live or whether you're listening to the podcast later or watching the playback on YouTube, thanks so much for joining us. I'm Jonathan Bray, Director of the Urban Transport Group, the organisation that's hosting these events. And for those of you who don't know us, we bring together the public sector transport authorities for the largest urban areas. Transport for London, Transport for Greater Manchester, Transport for West Midlands and all the other major metro areas as well, serving over 20 million people. As well as being a body that thinks ahead about what's next for urban transport, our members can implement that thinking on the ground and can and do learn collectively from these events. And at UTG, we like to look ahead at what's next on urban transport policy. So we're delighted to give this space to talk about the role that e-bikes can play and how we can fully realise their potential off the back of the report that we published earlier this week. And we could not have a better panel to discuss this. Um, so we have Olga Anaparenko, who's the author of the report um, that we published earlier this week, principal consultant for STEER and co-founder of the Women in Mobility UK Network. We have Roger Geffen, the Policy Director of Cycling UK. Roger Geffen's involvement in cycling campaigning began as a volunteer with a London cycling campaign in the late 1980s, and he soon branched out into other transport and environmental groups, including anti-road campaigns in the mid-1990s, which is where Roger and I got to know each other uh, very well indeed. Um, and he joined Cycling UK as campaigns and policy manager, now policy director in 2002, received an MBE for services to cycling in 2015. And we'll learn more about our panellists during the conversation. And interviewing our panellists is Philip Darnton OB, the chair of the Bicycle Association, which represents the UK cycle industry. He also chairs the Cycle Rail Working Group for the Department for Transport and sits on the DFT's at the Travel Stakeholder Advisory Group. Philip was awarded an OBE in 2011 for services to cycling. So you can also be part of this conversation in three ways. Firstly, by putting questions, keep them short and sharp via the Zoom questions box. And you can also vote for your favorite question. We'll be picking these up in the final section of the conversation. You can also use the comments channel of the Zoom call. And of course, on Twitter, using the hashtag uh, UTGnext, hashtag UTGnext. And with that, I will hand over to Philip. Jonathan, thank you very much and um, welcome to everybody uh, to this session on the potential for e-bikes. Um, I think we might start off at the beginning, um, Olga, with asking you a, a bit about your background and um, how you came to be involved in cycling in general, e-bikes in particular, and, and indeed whether you've um, practiced what you preach and re ride one regularly. Um, sure. Um, thank you, Philip, and uh, thank you for the introduction. Um, well, I've been working in transportation for last, I think, six years, and um, I work in the new mobility area. So basically, any innovation in transport, probably, I will deal with. And um, well, as part of um, the move to more sustainable ways of travel, active travel is under the I would say it's under attention and uh, it's something that well I'm quite passionate about because I think um, if you look at the transport mix and hierarchy of different modes I truly believe that active travel should be there and he will find cycling. Um, I'm a cyclist myself but I do not have bike in good stolen recently from um, my basement in London where I live. But so at the moment I use shared bikes um, and I do use shared e-bikes, uh, which I find quite useful. So from my perspective, um, cycling to work, it's easy. It only takes me 15 minutes. I don't sweat and um, well, I can look, look fine when I'm at my desk. So yeah, that's me. Very good. Excellent. Um, well, I'm sure we'll come back to the uh, uh, question of shared e-bikes, a very, very interesting topic we're bound to get to before too long. Um, Roger, um, 
I don't think I'd realised that uh, just how much longer than I you have been involved in the world of cycling uh, until that introduction. Um, go on, tell us what drives you. Um, and I know you're a keen, proper cyclist. Um, what do you think about e-bikes? Have you got an e-bike? Have you ridden an e-bike? But what is it that drives you in this over such a long period of time? Well, thank you, Philip. Um, it's just to start with the, 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 bit of, the, the little bit of post history. So I, I cycled as a child, I cycled as a teenager, I cycled as a university student. Then when I moved back and, uh, to London, started doing my first job in central London, still living with my parents at that time. And I just decided to take up cycling because it was going to be cheaper and it, and frankly, the mild eccentricity of it kind of appealed to me. Uh, it's, um, I rapidly discovered that what I was doing wasn't crazy. I was overtaking a lot of people in metal boxes on London's congested streets, and that was much more crazy than what I was doing. Then I discovered there was this thing called the London Cycling Campaign. I was in London, I was cycling, I could see why you might want to campaign for it. That really was the start of a of a of, 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 of my journey to into where I am now. As Jonathan mentioned in his introduction, I then got involved in uh, stopping road schemes in the mid 1990s. Got to know Jonathan very well, and indeed a lot of other people who are still involved in in, in cycle advocacy. Um, a lot of us have been in this game a long time. Um, yes, the, the, I mean the. the Cycling is such a, it, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic, very simple answer to an awful lot of very complicated problems. Uh, whether it's, whether it's, uh, whether it's safer streets, less congested streets, places which enable a, just a wider range of people to get around from children. Um, you know, anyone can get around pretty much by, by cycling. And yet it is so marginalized in ways that just don't make sense. And of course, the really relevant point is that it's a, it's, it, it's potentially a, a really important, significant part of the solution to climate change. Um, so there are so many good reasons to take up cycling. And of course, e-bikes particularly help strengthen the case for cycling as a solution to climate change, because they add, they add to the distance that people can travel, as well as the range of people who could take up cycling. I think, Roger, um, that uh, you anticipated my remark about the, the range of people who can take it up. Uh, and I. I'm sure we'll come back to that point too about who are e-bikes for um, and um, it's a particular bugbear of mine um, that there have been a whole series of um, quite senior politicians who seem to think they're for people who've got a bad hair day or live on the top of a hill um, or are very old um, or a bit fat um, and um, I, so I, I'm sure we will want to talk about who they're for. Also I think it's it's very timely Indeed, I don't know whether Jonathan um, planned it absolutely that we should be talking about potential for e-bikes right uh, at the time of COP26. Uh, it came as something of a surprise to me when I found out uh, some years ago that the Office for Low Emission Vehicles, now called the Office for Zero Emission Vehicles, actually um, doesn't have anything to do with e-bikes at all. Um, and yet there they are sat there as the absolute answer to zero emission. And um, across Europe, that's, I think, something that's rather different. I picked out the statistics that e-bike sales now uh, across Europe are higher than for any other form of electric vehicle, including all hybrid and all electric cars combined. Um, and um, uh, so I think that today's conversation is very much about What's going on here and um, what are we going to do about it? Uh, and it's not just a, a question of um, having a conversation. I'm hoping that out of this, uh, people who are listening uh, will go away uh, thinking, yes, actually, there are things that we can do that we haven't done yet. And I'm sure there are many people who are listening who have already started uh, and hopefully will be encouraged and enthused by what we have to say. Um, I think that I should probably outline how we might manage this time, because I know with this panel, um, it will be um, rather difficult to uh, keep to time. But uh, here we go. I think it's in, in three bits. So first of all, where are we now? What is going on? Um, then I think a section about what's the opportunity for e-bikes? Um, and then probably... Uh, a rather longer part, which is uh, how, how are we going to realise that opportunity? How are we going to get there? 
what are the ideas that we can uh, really put forward today? And um, at the end, no doubt some questions uh, too from people who may be practicing this already. So if we start off with um, where are we now? Um, one of the things that's in your report, Olga, I think is uh, very telling, which is that an enormous number of people don't actually know what an e-bike is. Um, and um, I think we had better just clear that up uh, immediately. Um, an electrically assisted pedal cycle. Um, Roger, do you want to start on what is an electrically assisted pedal cycle? Oh, uh, straight away went to the, the the legal definition. So it is well, a, not not heavyweight. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so the, I think the the crucial point is that um, to be legally classed as a pedal cycle and not a motorcycle, um, a, a, an e-bike has to have a maximum power of 250 watts and a maximum speed uh, at which for, for the motor to work of uh, 25 kilometers per hour or 15 miles per hour. Um, they can only be ridden by people aged eight, eight, uh, 14 and, and, and over. Um, that, so long as they meet those, those conditions, they are, they can be ridden effectively as pedal cycles without having, so without the rider having to pass a test or be insured or licensed and without having to wear a helmet and all of those conditions that attach to, 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 motorbike, uh, to motorcycles effectively. This, this creates a distinction between electric bicycle and electric motorcycle. Um, and that is important. And the reason for the 20, uh, 250 watt limit, it does actually make sense because it's, it's roughly the power output that an average fit human can put can sustain over a decent period of time. So without being um, a peak athlete and without just talking about sort of little tiny spurts, this is about the amount that a human can sustain over a decent period of time. So 250 watts is roughly the distinct the, the point at which you move. If you go above 250 watts, you're moving into a motor a, a motor powered cycle rather than a human cycle powered. A, a human powered cycle with electric assistance. And that is that is important. And it is important to maintain this distinction if electrically assisted pedal cycles are to share space in, and use cycle tracks and have all the privileges that go with being basically pedal cycles. And of course, um, one of the things that's happening at the moment is that all kinds of things that look quite like bicycles um, and absolutely aren't bicycles are appearing on the road. So keeping this distinction of an electrically assisted pedal cycle, 15 and a half miles an hour, 250 watts um, is uh, extremely, extremely important. Um, Olga, do you think that people actually um, do understand about what an e-bike is? And if they do, um, what's holding them up from getting one or riding one? Um. Yeah, I think that actually a majority of people do not know much about e-bikes and there's something that should be done in more like marketing, promotion, education, actually allowing people to try the bikes. So um, I think, well, if we look at the state, what's happening now, I think the UK is lagging behind other European countries. I think um, uh, in 2019, the new sales of e-bikes accounted for like 3% of bikes sold. And if you compare it to other European countries, it would be like something around 10 to 30 percent and I think recently in 2020 accelerated by the pandemic Germany was doing a specific like specifically good because um, I think the stats show that uh, in 2020 around 2 million people bought new electric bikes in Germany and then you kind of asking what's happening in the UK and why people why people are not doing the same as um, other, Euro other European nations. And I think, um, as you mentioned, first of all, it's about the education and understanding what e-bikes is. Um, other bit is about the cost of e-bike. Basically, it's much higher than the standard bike. And, um, um, well, in Europe, there are more, um, like the schemes, the financial schemes that, um, well, allow to, bike e e to, to buy e-bikes with discounts are more prominent and common, and they've been established for several years. We do not have it in the UK as, as yet, 
Um, I think that that one of the kind of driving factors. Another one was uh, actually it's a gen generic factor, not just not just for e-bikes, the lack of infrastructure, um, because uh, well, which is which is applicable for cycling in general, and it's about improvement improving the infrastructure or um, adding the segregated cycling lane, lanes to encourage more people, especially women, to cycle, which also will relate into increased number of people who are using the e-bikes too. Um, I think. Um, well, another point which has been mentioned is that some people perceive the e-bikes being um, not, uh, well, it's like riding an e-bike is perceived being lazy, or um, people think that they do not bring that same benefits as standard bikes in terms of physical activity. Uh, it is correct, but they still do bring the physical benefits, and people do not know about it, and they don't want to be perceived cheating, but it's also about again trying an e-bike and actually understanding that through the pedaling you do you do put an effort and um it's it's not that easy and you you become active you're also um, being outside and uh, it's just it's just much better in terms of the physical activity level in general can i um, interrupt you there Yes, um, and um, just yeah, to clear up wrong. clear and no no not at all um it's meant to be a conversation so um uh, clearing up this point about it's cheating, it's not proper. Um, I, surely, uh, Roger, it's only die-hard cyclists who say things like that. Um, um, the the idea that somehow or other uh, you're meant to be hot and sweaty when you arrive, um, and that you're meant to feel that uh, you have um, probably um, beaten um, anybody from Fulham Broadway to Canary Wharf on your bicycle because that's what it's all about. This is this is all nonsense, isn't it? Um, we've got to we've got to dispel that sense of it's not proper. I, I agree completely. Um, I'm, I was intrigued when you when you described me as a did you say a proper cyclist or a real cyclist? In your <laughs> because of course there are so many so many different people who cycle who have very different definitions of what they mean by a proper cyclist. Are you only a proper cyclist if you ride very long distances very fast, or are you a proper cyclist if you use your bicycle as as day to day transport? And of course, you can do any or all of these things. They are all good. Um, so one of the one yes one of the the things that uh, that Olga mentions in her report is of course that um, there are a lot of people who are not interested in cycling, and I think as we go on and talk about what we're going what we might think about as opportunities, we don't have to address the issue that at the moment uh, if you want a an e bike uh, you have to go to a bike shop, um, and if you're not interested in cycling um, that's probably the last place you'll go. So there's a, uh, there are a series of, of barriers uh, of that kind to getting to the people we want to get to. And as um, August just said, I was talking actually to a colleague in Germany yesterday, they did, they will sell uh, over 2 million um, e-bikes this year in Germany. And their view was that if the supply chain, which is, has been difficult uh, right across Europe, uh, not just in the UK, uh, had been at full stretch, they could probably have sold 2.4 million e-bikes. And this year, the Bicycle Association estimates that we might sell 180 to 200,000 in a market which is 3 million bicycles a year. So it's, it is still absolutely trivial. Um, and we're going to talk about what's, what's holding that back and what can we do about it. Um, and it seems to me that those sorts of statistics are uh, really quite, quite astonishing. Shall we, if, if we may, if that's roughly where we are now, Olga, was there anything you would like to say about what, where you think we are now before we go on and talk a bit about what the nature of the opportunity is? Um, Sorry. Yeah, well, I think we kind of covered where we are, that we are lagging behind. Uh, people do not know much about e-bikes. It's not like widely accepted. Um, there is a lack of infrastructure, I can say, cycling infrastructure. Um, and the costs of e-bikes perceived quite high at the moment, and they are quite high, and they're not very affordable for the majority of the population. I think that's probably yeah. a summary of where we are. Yeah. Very good. Um, I think that I think that's a um, pretty good 
pretty good summary of um, where we are. The infrastructure one I do find quite tricky because um, that is not going to be solved quickly. And we can't wait for the infrastructure to be perfect to be encouraging people to find a way to use uh, an e-bike. Uh, you're absolutely right. Everybody agrees. Roger's been campaigning with Cycling UK in particular for donkey's years about investment in cycling infrastructure. And um, we do know uh, how much it would cost. Um, but it, even, even if we had the sorts of sums that uh, have been calculated, uh, we know it will take a long time to do. And if everybody sits on their hands saying, well, until the infrastructure is there, there's nothing we can do, uh, we have lost the plot completely. So let's move on a bit um, and let's uh, talk a bit about um, the opportunity. And um, I'd like to really hear what you think about the sorts of people and the types of trips. Um, Olga, um, what sorts of people and what types of trips? Well, as we discussed, basically e-bikes allow users to cycle longer, so time and distance, faster mm -hmm. and over hillier geographies. And um, I think it's also about the average length of an e-bike trip. I think the, the reports, the different reports across the industry shows that it's around five miles for shared bikes. Uh, for private bikes, probably will be longer because you just go from A to B rather than first last mile travel. Um, I think, well, the fact that the nature of um, the of an e-bike would, um, well, it opens up for wider demographic population in terms of it also can appeal for those people who have some mobility like some mobility issues or older generation or those who can you know who, who not used to cycle fast but you know want to keep up with their with their friends for those who commute using e-bikes because we obviously don't sweat and you don't need to no, you don't sweat that much and you don't need to have shower also um for females um it's been um, it's been stated that actually females find e-bikes more attractive um, than compared to standard bikes. Um, and uh, in general, if you look, well, it's, it's more like a bike share start from a Como UK annual survey. The mix of users of, of shared uh, bikes is quite even and e-bikes um, help to bridge the gap uh, between female and male uh, cyclists. Um, it also kind of, I think, um, uh, it's about the broadening the opportunity for those people um, who can't afford the car potentially, and they can use an e-bike. Um, yeah, so wide range of of users, to be honest. So, so what I find interesting about this is that we keep on talking about um, cycling and making cycling easier. If I'm not interested in cycling at all, um, does that mean I'm not really in the market for an e-bike? Um, who are who are the people who are the you talk about them in your report to some extent the more and different people Roger who are we going to get to they're not going to be people who are avid members of Cycling UK are they well there, they there may be. be some but that's not the main market I think you know there will be there will be some people who you know are, are have been regular cyclists, whether recreational utility, day-to-day -day cyclists all their life, and then they're getting into later in life or they're suffering health conditions or disabilities that mean they can no longer cycle the way that they used to. Um, but a, an e-bike will help them keep going. But that is only one part of it. And I think what your, your comments, Philip, earlier, were the, there, there are two sides to this coin. They're the groups for whom uh, e-bikes can be particularly beneficial. Uh, and then there is everyone, at, and there's and then there's everyone who can benefit from e-bicycles, and it's really important that we we keep both sides of that of that um, in mind. Um, and now Olga's already touched on this. So there are the people for whom you know, uh, an e-bike can overcome the fact that oh, I don't feel healthy enough, I don't feel fit enough, I'm too I'm too old, I'm, I'm I've got too much disability, and electric assistance, particularly on non-standard pedal cycles, you know, for, you know, adapted pedal cycles for people with disabilities. Can, can enable them to cycle in a way that they thought that, you know, these are groups of people who might be thinking, cycling is not for someone like, like me. And then you give them a try before you buy opportunity to, to, to try out cycling and they just on, a, on an e-bike and they discover, oh wow, cycling could be for someone like me. So those, that's where there are huge health benefits from 
expanding the demographic of who can take up cycling by giving them the opportunity to try out cycling on an e-bike. But yeah. you're absolutely right, for that, that the politicians who think that that's all that e-bikes are for are missing the point. Um, this is, you know, Olga has already said that people can make longer journeys, hillier journeys, and that's for anybody and everybody. Um, and that's where the, the really big climate benefits come in. Um, if people, uh, once people discover that they can cycle about 50% further than they might otherwise have been willing to do, because the e-bike allows them to do that, that's where the real climate, climate benefits come in. Um, and, and that's why it's so important that people are, are given that opportunity to discover that making a, a, a longer trip than they would otherwise make. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's a, a bit of a, a, a discussion going on in the chat about where are the health benefits of, of taking up e-bikes. Well, if you just switched from, e from a conventional bicycle to an e-bike for the same cycling trip, then that will be a bit of a loss of health benefits. But if you take up e-biking e e e for what would otherwise have been a car trip, then that's obviously a net gain for health as well as for climate. And uh, picking up that point about uh, instead of a car trip, I'm I'm really keen that we should all have, if we um, if we probably do own a car, um, have a sticker on the back of it that says "My other car is an e-bike," um, because I'm sure that there are very very many families up and down the country, and I realise that that in a sense it's privileged, but the number of households that do own two cars is high, and the number of those two household families whose cars are have until now at any rate been left in the car park at the station uh, for the whole of the day necessitating the rest of the family to have another car suddenly are released from that and uh, again in Olga's report you can see some of the fi huge financial benefits to the individual that come about from saying actually I really don't need a car that I park in a station car park all day at all and as you say I can now uh, actually do a journey which is perhaps a little longer than I would have even considered on a bicycle, um, painlessly, easily uh, on my e-bike. So uh, personally, I, I'm very, very keen on, on trying to make it clear to people that we're not talking to cyclists, actually. Um, and maybe that's part of the problem between us and Europe, which is that I'm not sure that really uh, we have got people who cycle. We've got lots of cyclists, um, but just ordinary people who cycle uh, are harder to come by. And I'm really struck by that, that actually these are people who don't cycle, who've got the most phenomenal opportunity with an e-bike. Um, if, if only we can get that marketing and positioning right. And we'll come and talk in a moment about um, how on earth are, are we going to get there, I think. Um, but more and different people seems to be important. Yes, Olga, please. Yeah, I also wanted to add that um, it also can serve those people who live in rural areas or suburban yep. areas where the transport um, services are infrequent. And that's why it, well, that's why they're using the car at the moment. And those people, it's just, it's not just even demographic, it can be anyone. And uh, basically because the range and the distance is, well, which you can cover with e-bike is much longer. It, those people are kind of target users of e-bikes and can be potentially uh, kind of benefit the most too. Yeah, I, I think that, absolutely, absolutely right. And um, in again, um, in your report, uh, talking about the opportunities, you were talking about one experiment that carried out over a number of years. And I just thought it was a lovely phrase. So when, when people were uh, questioned about what they felt about it, when they did get an e-bike, a feeling of joy. Um, I mean, I thought, that's, of all the things you might say, oh, well, it's good for my health, or I can go further, or I, I'm not so hot and bothered. Um, a feeling of joy. I mean, I just, just think that's amazing, that sense in which um, suddenly people realise that um, an e-bike is like having um, the hand of God behind you as you go uphill, just giving you a very, very uh, gentle um, um, push. So I, I do think that the, the opportunities you've talked about there are, are tremendous. Um, and perhaps because I think this is really the essence of my view of what this conversation is about, is about what on earth do we do about it? How do we make it happen? What are the, uh, what are the things that we can do? How do we get there? Um, and um, what have other countries done? What can we learn from them? Um, 
again, Olga, you've got a bit about other countries. Yes, absolutely. Well, also before we move, we kind of we concentrated so far on personal personal bikes right. or shared bikes, but we also need to think about other forms of bikes like e-cargo bikes and the opportunities for the businesses. So <laughs> I should like to, to, to mention that it's not just a personal bikes, it also can open up opportunities for businesses um, and help with the first last mile um, travel and um, which, which will lead to also replacing the van trips and leading to significant carbon reduction. So it's kind of something which we haven't covered yet, but we, we should be talking about. Well, um, yes, um, I, I sort of agree with that um, because I do think that e-cargo bikes are present very different issues and problems, and they're not actually about um, the bike at all. They're about uh, all of the logistics and uh, infrastructure and distribution hubs and road layout that you require. And um, while I absolutely agree that the government has has got to now take this extremely seriously and start to do some real experiments rather than just uh, offering uh, odd grants to people. I think it is quite a, a tricky area. There are only about 4,000 e-cargo bikes sold a year in the UK. Um, and about 2,000 of those are to people who delightfully, um, perhaps um, I shouldn't call it this, but I will um, have their kids as cargo um, so they're for personal use uh, rather than for commercial use. Um, and um, I think there's tremendous potential there. Um, E-cargo, certainly on, certainly on the list, um, presents a rather lot of different problems. Since I'm the interviewer, I'm allowed to move on from that uh, and um, say, can we, let's talk a bit about that. How do yeah. we get there? And how do, what, what do other countries do? Um, and well, we'll hear from you first and then talk to Roger. Yeah, ab absolutely. Well, I mean, as we finish on e-cargo bikes, there's a good example um, of uh, what other countries doing it. There is a Go Pedelec project, which kind of mm -hmm. encouraged the whole use of e-bikes and including e-cargo bikes um, um, across across different countries in um, Europe. So I think um, the countries participated included um, Austria, Czech Republic, Germany, Italy, Hungary, and, and others. And what the project was about is uh, having the roadshows um, with I think over 10,000 participants um, uh, were actively engaged. And um, the result of that um, project was on average 18% uh, of e-bike test riders showed a willingness to purchase, to purchase an e-bike after their test ride. This is kind of shows, yes, you need to show people and you need to educate people. And it is successful because people do um, go on um, buying buying a bike um, after us. I think in Scotland also there is a good scheme which is called Go e-bike. Uh, which is uh, run by Sestron, which is a regional um, authority in Scotland. So one of the um, uh, initiatives which they've done is, um, is in, the, in West Lothian. So they've done the West Lothian Bike Library um, on the basis of a social enterprise, um, which is based in Livingston in Scotland. Um, and nine standard e-bikes were offered on short hire periods, uh, on the like try before you buy offer and um also i think they had one e-trike so different type of um e-bike and uh, well the outcomes was that 10 e-bikes have been purchased locally within the first six months after after well having that library working it's not big numbers but it also shows that it is working people do try and get on buying an e-bike afterwards mm -hmm. um did i stop yeah. you there for the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, Roger, um, uh, what are we going to do about this? What's going on in other countries that we haven't done yet um, that might help us on this route of pr promoting e-bike? Well, I think um, the answer is the opposite side of the coin from the barriers that Olga talked about earlier. She talked about um, she talked about incentives, she talked about infrastructure, and you know, we've got to Yes, you're, 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 you made the, uh, the point earlier about, uh, about well, let's, let's do incentives first, because in a way, that's yeah. the quick one. Uh, that's, that's the easy one. We've got all the evidence that they work, that they do, in fact, um, get people out of cars. You mentioned the, uh, um, Philip, you mentioned the Office for Lower Emission uh, Vehicles, uh, low, uh, Office for Zero Emission Vehicles, as they now are, and, and yet they don't do anything about supporting e-bikes. Um, e, e 
that is that is ridiculous. Um, the, the Bicycle Association, so your own organisation, found uh, you know, did wrote a report which found that purely in terms of reducing um, carbon emissions, e-bike subsidies are twice as cost effective per tonne of carbon saved as car subsidies. And that's before we even begin with all the health and decongestion and other benefits of getting people out of, out, uh, out of cars. So it is, it is, it is it's nonsensical that so much of the emphasis... 30 is going million to... tonnes was yes. their estimate, I think. Indeed. So uh, when we look at uh, COP26 and Glasgow has got so full of electric cars... But I gather there was, there was a fear that they might have to hire in diesel generators because of a lack of charging points for them all. This is absurd. Um, so, yeah, the, the attention given to electric cars at the expense of electric bicycles makes no sense whatsoever. So, yes, we need to put the incentives in place. Can um, I stop you on financial incentives for a moment? Because, um, again, from uh, what I know from the Bicycle Association and from Olga's report, too, there are very many examples of countries that have given a direct financial incentive for the purchase of an e-bike. Um, and uh, Olga mentions some particular examples from unlikely places, not just the likely places. Um, Sweden uh, seems to be not necessarily the place would come top of your list. Um, Greece, uh, I was talking recently to um, a colleague in Greece, uh, they have had uh, a, a direct financial incentive for uh, e-bike purchase uh, last year, this year, and next year, it will continue. Um, we know that the French and Paris have done it. We know that Transport Scotland uh, have done it. Um, somehow or other, um, the um, government doesn't seem to be interested in financial incentives. Um, and do you understand why that should be? We know that... Um there was a time when the Office of Low Emission Vehicles, as it was then, was basically saying, we have no evidence that people are going to get out of their cars and onto bicycles. Well, actually, we do. We've got plenty of evidence. You've got all the evidence in both of these reports and many others besides. So we really ought to have knocked that one on the head by now. Um, they also uh, fear that subsidies would would just be subsidies for wealthy people to buy e-bikes uh, e that they could already afford. Well, you could say that equally of their e electric car subsidies, so that one doesn't make any sense either. Um, I do think that there is a good case for a both for a general e-bike subsidy on carbon and other grounds, but also for a more targeted uh, programme to, to enable the, the people I talked about earlier, the people who have the most to gain from taking up cycling, but are least likely to do so without some kind of support. And at that point, they do need more than just a subsidy. They need those programmes that give them the opportunity, the try before you buy opportunity uh, to get on an e-bike and discover that right. kind of feeling that you talked about. And that e-bike smile that spreads across the face of everybody when they first get on an e-bike. Um, because, uh, the, you know, that actually, as I said earlier, cycling is for people like me. That is something that a lot of people in this group don't know. And the only way to give give them uh, to, to overcome that barrier that cycling isn't for people like me is to get them on an e-bike and, and, and give them the opportunity to discover from experience that really it is. So everybody seems to be saying, um, Olga, at the moment that one of the big barriers is people don't know what a, an e-bike really is. Um, yeah. They may be uh, concerned about uh, other factors, uh, like the quality of the road they stand on, but uh, there seems to be one big barrier of all, which, which is, I've, I've never tried one, so I wouldn't like one, because um, I'm, I'm not a cyclist. Um, try before you buy. What, what can you say about try before you buy? How do we set about doing that? Well, I think that, um, well, we talked about the financial um, measures. I'll come, I'll come, I'll, I'll see the logic chain in it. Okay. So I'm, I'm kind of saying that, saying that, well, I'm an advocate for financial measures, and I think the financial incentives should be done, uh, but they should be supported on local and regional levels by the local authorities trying to target those or maybe underrepresented groups. Um, but also, I think it should be a part of like a broader strategy to encourage active travel and reduce emissions. And here on the local level, I think try before you buy scans is something which local authorities should be looking at. Um, I think I've mentioned a few examples, um, what we've seen that for e-bikes came date or the European project. Um, the results are very positive. So I think if the 
local authorities can work with uh, maybe um, e-bike shops or other organizations to organize them. It's not very easy to organize, but if it happens and um, it work, you work in collaboration with um, private sector, I think here you will get lots of benefits for people and you can organize them easier in a more easy way. I think, I mean, I'm taken by your point about uh, not very easy to organize because yeah. um, lots of small schemes have been tried. Um, uh, a shopping mall on a Saturday where you get good footfall and say to people, oh, by the way, I'm demonstrating e-bikes, would you like to try one? Somehow or other, that all seems a little bit amateur and, and small scale. Um, don't you think that maybe there are some other opportunities from rather more structured? I mean, if I don't like bike shops, I don't know anything about bikes, I'm not going to go to a bike shop to try one. Um, and yes, of course, a local authority ideally engaging with a bike shop to say, how can you help me? But uh, what about other sorts of schemes? You you talk about some of them. Um, what about shared schemes or somewhere where I could painlessly try it? Um, they're parked in, in the street because they're part of a bike hire scheme. And so nobody needs to know that I've even tried one. And the assumption, yeah. which seems to me to everybody says, is once you've got on, you can scarcely ever bear to get off again. Um, they're yes. so attractive. Absolutely. So it's about the shared bikes and um, encouraging having e-bikes as a fleet of shared bikes. Um, and it's actually the trend in the market is that lots of um, shared op uh, shared schemes operators introducing e-bike fleets into their operations or new schemes are being started with just e-bikes. Um, I think a good example is uh, Bikes for All scheme in Glasgow. Uh, which actually focused on increasing access to cycling by breaking down barriers related to ability and lack of confidence too. So what they've done, the regional the, the provider uh, is Next Bike, and they introduce uh, discounts uh, for people, um, and they introduce reduced annual membership fee for people to go and try those those um, e-bikes and use them in Glasgow area. One of the restrictions is that, well, the use of the shared scheme, there is an operating area. So you're only allowed to use that bike within that operating area. So potentially you may be living somewhere far outside, but this is a great initiative. And also on, on top of the just providing the annual memberships, they've done the group training and the group training um, of, of how of, of how to use an e-bike but shared e-bike was very successful and people um found it um uh, like the group setting made them feel that they're not by themselves and mm -hmm. there are other people very who nice. do not understand about e-bikes too and it's just comforting on psychological level and um yeah it, it's been very it's been quite successful and um i think well there's a powerful start from that um uh, bikes for all initiative they said that 52 percent of like of participants had never cycled before and mm -hmm. uh 30 percent of them are started cycling brilliant. regularly so 52 percent didn't cycle before it's quite a big number isn't it no it's brilliant that's exactly the point we were making earlier i think about uh, a, a completely different target audience if you will um not cyclists at all um roger bike bike hire bike loan bike rental um what what experience do you have of those as ideas? Well, um, firstly, I've I've, um, I've gained some wonderful new neighbours literally just across the road from me. Um, there's a little uh, a yard that used to where they used to, the police used to replace their police vehicles, and then there was a um, paper shredding company, and now a, a a new company, new startup has moved in um, who are putting out dockless e-bikes, uh, hired e-bikes out in some, a couple of central London boroughs. And um, I, you know, I'm not going to um, upset one e-bike company by not naming one and not another and all the rest of it, because we're in the business of promoting the whole sector. But uh, I, I, I love what the, 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 um, the, the hired e-bike companies are doing. They have, the, the company across the road have uh, pitched their pricing specifically to make it easy for people who might not otherwise be able to afford to um uh, to, uh, to, to give it a try so that too is a way of doing try before you buy and i really think there is potentially an opportunity to join up the sorts of initiatives that olga was talking about cycling uk we run we run programs very much like the bike fall initiative where you know community cycle clubs so any group um 
whether it's health, whether it's health patients, whether it's people with disabilities, whether it's immigrants, whether it's, you know, all sorts of communities who are just getting together for some reason or other, and you can give them cycling as a, a, a you know, as a, as a group activity. And Olga's absolutely right that inviting people to take up cycling in a group rather than on their own makes a yeah. huge difference. If you do it on your own, you feel you're being really worthy and it's hard work and you're not quite sure how to, how to, how, what, how to carry your clothes and all of those things, you have to find it out for yourself. Whereas if you do it on, with a group, it's much more fun. You feel you're not on your own. You're not the only person in the world who doesn't know the answers to all those questions. Um, so yes, group activities, using the, the hire bikes that are out there, that would be a really good combination. I'm very interested to explore it. Yeah, very good. Um, I think that um, there are a host of ideas uh, in this area, which are really valuable. One we haven't mentioned so far, I'll just mentioned in passing perhaps, because I've got half an eye on the clock, uh, is the Cycle to Work scheme. And of course, the Cycle to Work scheme uh, was limited uh, in its value to a maximum of £1,000. Uh, and the uh, DFT, uh, with the Revenue and Customs, managed to take that limit away to enable people who have a job, are in employment, um, and are prepared to go through a, can afford to go through a salary sacrifice scheme for 12 or 18 months to get a, a, an e-bike. And certainly the opportunity therefore locally to engage with businesses and say, are your employees making the most of that cycle to work opportunity uh, seems to me to be a, a, another good idea. There are, um, in Olga's report, there are two or three pages um, which uh, are headed conclusion, which are really only the start, um, in which she talks about a range of financial incentives. Um, she talks about information talks about safety and security and talks about shared e-bikes a very very nice example about targeting that you um, mentioned in your report but I thought was um, being able to target people in uh, key jobs carers you mentioned in particular um, people who are perhaps also um, in the medical profession visiting people at home and have to move from place to place and i've seen a number of examples of this where with a car it takes me as long to find a place to park my car to go into the person i'm caring for or checking up on as it does to do the checkup um, and actually an e-bike is a perfect way and so being able to 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 think about who we go to. Could we go to our NHS trust and say, is there a way in which we, uh, as your local authority, uh, could fund uh, uh, some an, an experiment? And you're right, Olga, which includes training um, and includes getting two or three people together so that you don't feel self-conscious and you're not quite sure. But I do think that uh, in your report, there's some really terrific things about uh, shared, shared use um, and all of them come back to this central issue about how do you break through? I think it came up one of the questions actually. How do you break through to say to people, try it, just try it? And I myself have seen lots of people who've been very skeptical um, uh, who you say, just get on it and see what happens. Um, and one, one councillor, um, actually, we thought we'd lost him because he was so sceptical. He said, I'll give it a try after a lot of argument. And uh, we had to go out looking for him after half an hour because he was enjoying it so much. Um, now, it is, uh, according to my watch, about a quarter to two. Um, and there are, um, I was told there would be about three or four questions. <laughs> there are loads and loads of questions um, that have come in, which is terrific. And it's very, very good. Um, and I'm wondering how on earth I'm going to um, deal with those. Uh, one that came in quite early on and is actually uh, mentioned in the possibilities, Olga, is scrappage, car scrappage schemes. Um, why don't you trade in your old banger, um, a polluting banger, and get a... a funding for the purchase of an e-bike. Is, is that practical? Have people done that? 
Yes, of course. It's also we talk about it in the report. It comes under the more like financial insensitives. Um, it has been done in France, uh, has been done in the states in America and California. Uh, it's kind of also encourages people to give up their own vehicle, the car. So actually suppose they move from the car because you don't have the vehicle. I think in terms of them, what happens in the UK so far, they're not there hasn't been any scrappage scheme established. I think, uh, I mean, focusing on e-bikes, the closest mm. example would be the scheme, um, which is um, run by Transport for West Midlands. Um, I think they call it like mobility credits. And um, well, the scheme looks at scrapping the cars and um, they offer 3,000 pounds in the credits towards the cost of alternative transports, transport modes, including like buses, shared bikes, trains, taxis, car hire uh, over the next two years. Uh, well, the current fleet, the shared fleet in um, Transport for West, West Midlands at the moment doesn't have e-bikes, but it's something they can introduce in future. But at least they've started with this crapish scheme and I think it's one of it's the first one in the UK. I mean, on, the, on yeah. such a scale. And it's just been tested. Uh, and I don't have any information on how successful it is, but it would be really good to find out. And I'm sure they will publish the results because it, I think it's been done as a part of future transport zone uh, because uh, the region receives um, um, funds from DFT. If I could just pick up um, tangentially the future transport zones. Um, Roger, you have been much involved in campaigning about planning and the need for planning. Um, how, it seems to me that housing developments would be a, an absolutely ideal starting point for perhaps a local authority in negotiation with housing developments to think about um, the provision of electric bikes, um, how much car parking space they don't provide. Um, have, we, have you been involved in that at all? Um. The, the general point about uh, new developments and how cycle friendly they are is is, is well made, you know? but there's um, and we're going to need to campaign around that when when the when the government's planning bill comes forward. You know the, the original planning proposals under the previous uh, planning secretary really were very unhelpful in all sorts of ways. I won't digress onto that, but there is another point relating to planning which is probably more relevant here, which is that when people are moving home. Um, that's a kind of change in their sort of life cycle, um, a life cycle changing event, the change of a job, change of change of location, change, you know, uh, adding a member of the family, losing a member of the family. All those sort of things that disrupt your travel habits are fantastic opportunities uh, to, to give people that opportunity to rethink. Um, so if as part of um, the grant for planning permission, um, a developer were to put in place some kind of a financial incentive similar to the scrappage schemes that Olga was talking about, effectively mobility credits rather than providing car parking space. Um, that could be that could be that could be huge, um, and it'll work better in some locations than in others. But let's face it, the locations where um, where it wouldn't work well are the sort of places where we really shouldn't be putting housing in the first place. The places that are just so remote that they're car dependent locations. That's that's where we shouldn't be building housing. The sort of places where housing can um, support sustainable transport, actually adding an incentive to get people to to rethink their how they get around yeah, at the point where they where so much else has changed. That could be huge. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. And looking at uh, the questions in the highly selective way that I'm privileged to do today, probably never again, uh, is um, a question uh, about incentivization as a key tool. And um, is there evidence from different places on how incentives affected uptakes? The answer to that is yes, I'm not going to go into it, um, but it is well documented. And you'll probably find some links to that in what Olga has said. Um, certainly, as Roger kindly mentioned, the Bicycle Association's proposals to government, uh, which are available on the Bicycle Association's website, uh, also make very clear that there's, there's really excellent evidence about the effectiveness of um, financial incentives. Um, there's a lovely question that I would love to uh, get into, and I'm not going to because that will absolutely destroy the rest of the afternoon, which is about um, how do I think that, uh, how do we think that e-scooters will have a, an impact on e-bike take-up? I'm really not going to go there today, um, but I'm urging Jonathan to have a whole session given over to the currently illegal use of e-scooters on um, our roads. 
Go on. In, yeah, we're not, we're, not, we're not going to dwell about it, but in the report, there are actually some stats from um, Beryl, a bike share operator, um, on what's happening with e-scooters versus e-bikes. So if you're interested, yeah, have a look. It's a box case study and it has some stats on it. Brilliant. Well done. Um, there are a number of questions too about um, what I would call supportive infrastructure. Um, what are we going to do about theft? These are valuable vehicles. Um, what are we going to do about parking? And it is the case that um, as with so many aspects of cycling, you are going to have to think about the whole chain of things that are needed. Um, somebody has re referenced, uh, would it be a good idea to focus on 20 mile an hour zones because where traffic is slower, then people are not so confident. So I, I really do think trying to join it up um, in, in a number of, of in initiatives is, is quite important. And uh, certainly the temptation to say, well, actually we'll do this scheme for e-bikes and then find that people get to the middle of town nowhere to park it or where they do is extremely dangerous uh, for theft cycle parking at stations big issue um, what are we going to do about e-bike e parking at, at stations um, I'm very conscious there are about um, four minutes left um, so I think that um, Roger you might want to say something before we close, um, something we haven't covered or something you feel we didn't make sufficiently important or something we did make important and you want to say it again. Uh, I'm going to pick up, I'm going to take the, 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 what have we not yet covered, which is related to supportive infrastructure. There's so much we could say about parking, I would, residential cycle parking, actually, I should have said that when we talk about planning just now, but residential cycle planning, both retrofit as well as in new build, that is also a, a, an important issue. But I'm going to talk about maximising the potential of, of e-bikes as a rural transport solution, because the government consulted on a rural transport strategy and said e-bikes are the solution. Technology, technology, technology is great. Um, to which Cycling UK and our response, we said, yes, that is great. It is, it is a part of the solution to you know, decarbonising rural transport, but not without the infrastructure. Now, the infrastructure that we need for rural areas is actually really rather different from the infrastructure we need for urban areas. Because um, if you think that for a large city, a large proportion of the cars traveling within a large city will be making a journey wholly within that city, starting and ending within that city. For a smaller town, that will not be the case. Most of the cars in a small town will be traveling to or from an adjoining town or a nearby village or straight through the town. Therefore, the barrier to getting people out of their cars in that town is not the, 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 the um, hostile cycling, you know, the dangerous traffic on, on, the, on the streets within that town. It's actually a 60 mph uh, rural single carriageway. And therefore, the, the planning of cycle networks to enable people to get out of cars and onto e-bikes in rural areas, you need to be thinking about alternatives to the 60 mph single carriageway. And at a time when e-bike subsidies are promised but not yet with us from the government, this is a moment for local authorities in more rural areas to really think about what they could do to maximise the benefits of cycling, to not, to not think cycling is just for the greater Manchester and the greater London of the world, it is for the rural okay. areas too, particularly with e-bike coming along. Okay. Um, Olga, um, a, a last word from you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've just seen the comments about um, the question from Claire. It's about um, women and uh, basically um, some patterns which we may have for the travel um, and how is it traveling for e with e-bikes because well we know, as we know women tend to travel with children there's lots of grocery shopping etc um i think what we're also noticing is a well potential role for personal uh, e-cargo bikes here and as uh, philip mentioned that um they are being used to transfer children i can see myself more women using them they do need the training you need to adjust for e-cargo bikes so it's 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 not as easy, but I think that e-cargo e bikes can play a um, huge role supporting women travelling with the groceries and the goods. Um, I think we're yeah, going to have to have then... another session on e-cargo bikes, Jonathan, if you're listening. Um, I think we're going to stop there. I knew it would happen that um, there's some very experienced people who are out there listening to us, and uh, one of them has... Um, very rightly said, everything you're saying, Philip, we're already doing 
and it's working very well up in the northeast. And then there was another comment to Roger. We're already doing everything you're saying. That's fantastic. Um, if you um, if you really want to know more, it's quite clear that um, Craig Cooper in the northeast is the man to talk to. And no names, no pack drill, Craig. But um, that that is very good. Um, the purpose of this event isn't, uh, I think, to tell people things that they really, really don't know, but hopefully to share some experiences, to share some ideas, um, and maybe create a network among all of you, which UTG does, um, of people doing things uh, together and learning from one another. So um, I hope we haven't um, bored you to death about this, but rather enthused you and encouraged you about just what there is by way of potential for e-bikes. Great. Thanks, uh, Philip, Olga and Roger for what was a fantastic discussion and conversation and certainly got people going on the, the chat and the Q&A. It was always a good sign. I think a few quick takeaways from me. The key thing about e-bikes, it extends a range of trips and the range of people who use bikes more and different. Um, but what are the obstacles to more people experiencing the uh, the joy, the feeling of joy of e-bikes, the e-bike smile, the two things I remember from this conversation. I think it's getting across that e-bikes ain't cheating and that you don't need to be a, a quote cyclist, end quotes, to use one. It also needs to move more centre stage to government policy. Why isn't the Office of Zero Emission Vehicles interested? We need to give people more opportunities to try them, to understand what they are. We need to get the cost down and we need the infrastructure in place to support it. So our next uh, urban transport next event will be a one-on-one -on -one interview with Lee Waters, who is the Welsh Government's Transport Minister, the man behind the new path for transport policy in Wales, road user charging, a freeze on road building, a target for home working. Arguably, Wales is the nation of the four nations of the UK that's leading the way. Really hope you can join us for that on uh, Thursday, the 2nd of December at 12am. And in the meantime, thanks again to Philip, to Olga and Roger, to everyone who took part live, to those listening in to the podcast or watching the playback on YouTube. Thank you and goodbye.